Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and your host. Today in the studio I've got Sean Nutner, who some of you will remember from episode 4, many more of you will remember from Narrative Control and at least, how many was it, the Big Bad Con, Sean? Uh, we had a... 275 this year and at least 275 people will remember sean from uh from big bad connie was the coordinator and he's the the guy responsible for making the magic happen so even though you've talked already sean hi sean how's it going hey daniel thank you for having me on the show so i expect now that i will be on episode 400 as well i was gonna say yes you, you will be on so, uh, so tell me about, uh, a, give me a bit of a rundown about uh, Big Bad Con. We know there was 275 people there, but uh, the food bank and the, and the fun run and, and games and all that type of stuff. Yeah, well, it turned out, ended up being a fantastic showing. Um, we had uh, a lot of great events that we talked about, I think, actually, on previous episodes. You've had yep. me on and you've had Kristen, who's my um, XO, mm-hmm. on. Um, but uh, some of the end results of it. And that I'm very proud of. Uh, we raised $1,010 for Doctors Without Borders. Wow, as which, much as that. That's heaps. Yeah, that's uh, double what we did last year. So Great. that's fantastic. We uh, donated 480 pounds of food to the Alameda County Community Food Bank. Wow. Which is more than double than we did last year. Right. And uh, I don't know the numbers on it, but uh, Endgame, I know, was donating a portion of their proceeds to Child's Play, which is a charity that um, puts video games in the hands of kids in hospitals. Right, nice. And um, since they were – so I don't know his specific numbers, but I do know that he did 50% better this year than he did last year. Nice. And since he's giving 10%, that means he gave 50% more than he did last year. So all all over the place, uh, it was really a fantastic event, very successful uh, in my in both my goals, in that we are doing good, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we're really supporting a lot of great charities, mm-hmm. and that people had a blast and had a great time. I I've processed all the feedback um, in general, with the exception of the food there, mm-hmm. which was pretty subpar. Um, <laughs> people were very very happy. Yeah, oh yeah, and, for sure. And and the food, uh, you know, I've I've already talked to the hotel about alternatives and mm. we're looking into getting food trucks out there nice. because the bay area has some fantastic food trucks i mean mm. you think of food trucks like hot dog stands but there is thai there's indian there's you know uh, ethiopian you name it there's an awesome food truck for it sure. in the bay so i'm looking forward to you know i'm gonna try to do that yeah, that sounds um, a great idea. Getting to swing by at a certain time in between sessions, like a, you might have to stagger it for half an hour or something, so there's lots of time. But, but uh, yeah, that'd yeah. be perfect. I, that's, uh, that, that's my thought, is have it just having them come by when games get out. People can uh, get some fantastic food at a reasonable price, mm-hmm. and then they can you know go off and do other things while people are gaming. So For next year. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Well, we know the mascot will change again. First year, it was the Big Bad Wolf. Right. Um, this year, it was Little Red. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe it is going to be the Woodsman um, right. next nice. year. That nice. That is the plan. We, my uh, Katie, my graphic designer and mm-hmm. illustrator, uh, hasn't started giving me proofs yet for it. But right. uh, I'm sure she'll do something pretty phenomenal. Uh, I do know that uh, the game we played together, Daniel, which mm-hmm. uh, Road to Lynn's Farm, mm-hmm. uh, Jason and I are talking about making that into a LARP. Oh, cool. And so we'll have a six-person LARP. Yeah, I'm going to cool. see if I can get a cage. Nice. Uh, yeah, nice. For, for the LARP. Right. And I know that Karen is planning on running Tribunal, 
because nice. so many people wanted to get into that game and weren't able to. <laughs> and uh, so she oh, is, she was a wreck. She was a wreck, and that game was it was hilarious. If it was if the if there wasn't so much gravity um, in what was actually going on, like I was just had a quiet laugh to myself inside my head. You know, all these times she was she was perfect in the role that in the role that she played. But uh, yeah, considering the considering the circumstance, it was uh, it was a strange juxtaposition, but it was it was hilarious. She was she was good value and i think that her and her in charge of that might be interesting to yeah um, well she, she could be pretty intense mm. uh, oh i don't I doubt s- it so i say that from experience and, um <laughs> this is karen 12's episode two everybody in case you're wondering which karen we're talking about here yes and uh she put on the improv for gamers workshop this year and mm-hmm. she ran her uh ver- her very custom game schizo which were both very successful yes. um she's actually planning this is not really con related but um she has uh Two improv troops that she's part of, mm-hmm. and she is planning on getting putting possibly them together or some other improvers together to run it as an improv to run tribunal as a twelve person improv performance. Ah. Um, so I think that's going to be very interesting. Mm. Uh, who knows when that'll happen? But I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if she and, needs somebody to yell at people, then uh, if uh, Kristen uh, Hayworth, who was on episode thirty nine. Um, and also episode 21, I think, if I remember rightly, um, is not doing it, then I'll happily uh, yell at people and call them Oh, up. you will. Excellent. <laughs> that's, that's good, because it's important that we have someone in that role. So oh, great. yeah. I, I would happily, happily, happily yell at people um, and try and, and, yeah, that'd be great. Because in all my, my job all day long, I have to... I have to spend time not yelling at people. Um, <laughs> so you have some some real earnest desire to get some of that yelling in. That that's right. Yeah, I'm, I've I have a, a strong feeling that I would be capable of uh, of producing some um, some genuine fear in people with with yelling. My my father was a, my father. My grandfather was a major in the um, during the Second World War, and I think that he had. Uh, he had quite a set of lungs on him for yelling at people, but uh, yeah. So maybe perhaps I inherited that from him. Yeah, I was uh, going to say it sounds like it's had some influence on you as well. <laughs> you seem to uh, um, rejoice the idea. Of this role. <laughs> I I do. Maybe we could have two people yelling because that would really because I think that uh, that that for me was that Kristen um, was excellent in that role, and I think that she really um, she really managed to inspire some of that uh, some of the genuine genuine fear which um which i think is an important part of that game if you want you need people really to to buy into it to get it but anyway um you uh if you get a chance to go to big bad con next year uh thoroughly uh, recommended and i don't know if uh uh if anything came of your conversation with meg baker um regarding um yes meg is going to make it out next year nice um that is the plan at least um uh, at this point it's it's a little difficult i don't want to no no for sure down. for but, sure uh, but but meg and i talked it was it was funny um the, i read i listened to ha huh, this is i i kid you not i did not plan this but uh i listened to meg's both interviews on your show daniel yes um this is not meant as flattery this just you just caught me off guard and i realized that uh this was the case and after hearing her on your show uh i posted uh, I think on the uh, the G plus uh, thread that you started about the show or something like that. May mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to have you at my con before. Now I've heard you on the show. I need 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 to have you. And nice. she was ex- uh, 
I should put that in context. I need 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 to have you at my con. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, she was she was excited. And mm. when I told her all the cool things we did, and when I told her that the things that she really wanted out of a con were very much the things I was doing, mm. she got pretty excited too. And and um, and so I, I think there's a very strong chance that we'll have Meg at Big Bad Con next year. Great. I think it's a real endorsement of the quality of the uh, the con, you know, the sort of people you're you're attracting to it. Um, there's something to be said for the way that, that you organized it and uh, the experience you created for... Can I, can I talk? Can I say hi? Well, I think you already did talk and say hi. <laughs> I believe that is mission accomplished. <laughs> well played, Marla, well played. Um, yeah, so I think that's really, um, you know, hats off to you for putting such a great show together and getting, you know, the word of mouth, I think, is is, is traveling on it. It's not too big, it's not too small, and it's, like you say, it really focuses is on gaming. I wouldn't want to say that board games and all that type of thing are, are a distraction, but I think that, you know, having that as the, as the focus really, uh, I think, gets people in the right frame of mind to think well you know i'm going to do i'm going to role play this and i'm going to role play that's not i'm going to role play here and then i'm going to find something else to do right and i think that um and i've said it before but it's worth repeating i think that the road to lindisfarne sort of happened at exactly the right time you know we'd all you know sort of warmed up and in, in various other games and you know got our role playing hats on and and i think that there's something to be said for um you know having that Const, not not constant, not the road, but but having a continuing um, sort of changing set of experiences, but all based around role playing, is only uh, sort of only sort of elevates the the type of games that you uh, that you get into. So you know, I put out the I put out on one of the feedback forums. Do you think we should have? Um, do you think we should have board games as mm. an option? And uh, uh, none of the options, none of the options to change that I got receive more than twenty percent. Right. Um, people checking the box so mm. i'm not terribly inclined to to do any of them because none of them seemed uh to be that popular and in fact several of them people actively said no 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 don't change keep it you you know what you've got what you have going works really well don't change you know what you got works don't change it that's um, right yeah if it's not broken for sure and and so but it's funny because i think you're the first time i've heard somebody really articulate a a, a concrete reason why not to change it it's not just well, don't do board games because, um, because you know, who knows whether that'll work and what you've got working right now works. It's don't do board games because they may actually actively detract from the environment mm. that people um, are really invested in role-playing and they spend the whole weekend doing it and focusing on it. And if the con was more diversified, then it might not uh, be quite as rewarding an experience, which is uh, – which is something worth pondering on, Daniel. I, I think that's something I'm going to think on some more. I, I was already pretty skeptical about adding them uh, yes. next year just just because I had so few people say they wanted them. But yeah. now I have another reason to, to, think about, to think on that. So having been in so many um, so many great games over the convention, I'm going to, I'm going to kick off with uh, what do you think makes a great convention game? Uh, wow. Um, I think that there's really two avenues that I've seen um, convention games go fantastic, and they're they're very very different. Um, so I'm going to have to sort of answer that question in two different ways. Uh, one person who I would say epitomizes um, the first method uh, is Todd Furler. Uh, in fact, I believe uh, on one of my actual play posts, I documented every game that I played with him and collated all the the 
patterns that the things that I noticed he had done in every game and, and called it like something like the furler method or something along those lines, mm-hmm. the furler way, Todd was uh, perhaps a little bit embarrassed that I had, uh, <laughs> so specifically identified him. Right. Uh, but, but it's true. Uh, Todd runs a very, very tightly scripted game. Uh, and he, um, he he sits everybody down, tells them in no uncertain terms what he's trying to accomplish out of this game. That he is a director of a movie. That the players are an act are actors. And at the end of the game, he wants everyone to push away from their table and say, "Wow, that's a movie that I would pay money to see in the theater if it was actually a feature film." For sure. And and so Todd has no bones about saying. I'm going to call for what needs to happen, and then you're going to do it. And it's a very call-response kind of game. And I generally cannot stand a game where I feel like the choices are not mine, that I'm being railroaded, that I'm being forced on something. Mm -hmm. But Todd, uh, because he's very explicit about saying, you know, we're going to need moments of dramatic tension. We're going to need moments of fear. We're going to need moments of action. And I'm going to call on you to do that. I'm not going to tell you what to do or how to do it, but I'm going to tell you the thing the story needs now. And you're going to have to figure out a way to make that happen. Um, and uh, because he gives such clear direction, I've always felt extremely free and liberated in his games to do whatever suits me at the time. But I realized afterwards I wasn't just making something up out of thin air. I wasn't just doing whatever I felt like. I was I was using his creative constraints to really build something beautiful. And yes. he's, he cuts scenes short. Uh, you know, if they if they're running on, he 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 refocuses people if they're kind of losing track. Mm-hmm. I've even seen him one time tell a player, "Nope, that is not what we're doing right now." Mm. You agreed when we sat down. Um, there was a game that we we're playing, which is a, a he said in the beginning, "This is a serious horror film mm-hmm. that we we're playing." And one of the characters start, one of the players started like joking around, and he said, "No." You're not doing that in this game. You mm-hmm. agreed at the beginning that we were telling a serious horror film, mm-hmm. and I think that the player was probably a little bit. You know, it's it's awkward to be put on the spot like that for sure. Yep, sure. But the player snapped right back into gear, mm. and we continued going, and the story was powerful. Yes. Um, and so I think that that GM who has a, a very strong sense of the themes, the pacing, um, the direction of the game, and calls upon people explicitly, not just sort of trying to hide behind his monsters to 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 um, to guide the game, but will tell people like if if they're going. If they're jumping the shark and they're going off in a different direction, instead of saying like, "No, no, your cell phones don't work. No, no, your your you know that person won't help you. No, no, the, everybody's dead," which are mm. all in-game uh, ways of corralling the player, he would just say, "Nope, this is what you know. This scene is about this happening. Let's focus on this." And so he he doesn't mince words with trying to you know convince you to do it. He just tells you as a GM to a player, "This is what we're doing," and yes. people fall in line and and have a and I have played many many games with him and, and they've been fantastic yeah so i think that the very directed game is, is wonderful and then the other side is the play to find out game which mm. uh, i think that term was i first heard from sage um uh, latora right. um uh who is the author one of the authors of dungeon world right. and he very much pushes to say well you know as a gm you should be asking the players you know what they find interesting and building off of that. Right. And I think that sort of listening to the players, finding out what they care about, building 
uh, challenges around the things that they care about to challenge their beliefs to see if they change mm-hmm. uh, is also an extremely rewarding um, sort of con experience where you feel like, hey, that that game was about me. That game was everything I did was was the center stage, and I was the I was clearly the hero, and mm-hmm. and all the challenges were focused on me. That, that that tends to be my style because I can't do the prep work for the first style. Right. But um, I like to put people in a really or I like in games, this is my model, but I like it when anybody does this, is in games where somebody's put in a situation they cannot ignore mm-hmm. and then asked, you know, this is, you, this is, it's not possible for you to just say, oh, I don't care. I'm going to keep doing whatever I'm doing. That's right. Face yeah. a situation you can't ignore. And then the GM is actively pushing that as like a pressure cooker to see what you do and then responding to all the things you do to kind of keep snowballing the effects That's of, right. um, you know, whatever kind of chaos you start creating, he just kind of adds to it, or she adds to it. Right. So if I can distill those those two ideas, the, the first one, and we covered a little bit in um, episode 39 as well, um, which is that a good con game, you should set out the expectations to start with. Kristen was saying that she played in a game where um, either she read it wrong or misunderstood what was going on, but that her character was required to do a very specific thing at a very specific time in order for the game to go. Now, aside from whether you know that's good or bad, the basic problem we hit on there was that the GM didn't take the time to really explicitly say, look, this is what needs to happen at this time in order for this, this game to go. And, and, and from that, um, as I said, you know, we just sort of distilled this idea that setting out expectations ahead of time is a really important thing to do when you uh, are running a con game so people know what they're getting in for. And... And this idea of you know having a really carefully uh, controlled environment in which you're uh, telling your uh, your game, as with your first example, um, I think that I know for myself if I'm given some very particular restraints about what it is that it, I need to do, I actually find that quite freeing in a in a creative sense because having those those boundaries actually brings out interesting things. Whereas somebody says, "Do whatever you want." then I'm like, well, I don't really know what I want to do. And if I'm mm-hmm. going to be honest, I don't really want to have to think about it either. How about you tell me what it is that I, that I want to do? So, so for sure. And yeah, then- I th- Smarter minds than me. Um, I know both Paul Tevis and, um, and Paul Sega, uh, two, two, two very uh, uh, amazing Pauls um, have said that uh, creativity or constraints breed creativity. And mm-hmm. I think that is very, very true. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, what are your rules for, and what are the best role-playing snacks? Who? what are my rules for? Well, that's changed a lot over the years. I'm 36 now, and um, my goal with snacks is to be something that will not make me feel like, hey, when I'm done, <laughs> when I've spent all day eating them. Right. So I try to go for, like... Uh, vegetables and dip like a lot of times we'll do carrots uh, and maybe pita chips something kind of lighter mm-hmm. and hummus or um, a lot of times a, a very popular kind of plate is like just mixed veggies with some ranch dressing mm-hmm. um, so something that's going to be you know my personal preference just because it's what I eat a lot of is you know complex carbohydrates that are sort of give long lasting energy whole wheat um uh, legumes uh, and, uh, and and protein. That's sort of my what I what I look for. Um, my my days of Doritos and Dr Pepper are uh, are are, are pr- 
pretty much over. I will uh, unfortunately I will eat them if they're in front of me because I have no willpower. So uh, I will eat any horrible uh, gamer snack that sits in front of me, and then I would feel disgusting after I've done so. But I, I try to go for the the healthier options that um, like uh, pretzels and and hummus are real nice. <laughs> Whole wheat pretzels and hummus are really nice. Now I'm getting hungry, Daniel. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds horrible, Sean. Um, so, so um, if you could role play with four people, living or dead, who would they be and why? And you can't choose somebody that's deceased, um, that's part of your family, and you want to just want to see them again because everybody would do that. Um, and you can't choose a uh, a game designer, and you also can't choose somebody who's in your current gaming group because obviously. You know, as our lifetimes are finite, the people you play with right now are the people you would want to play with forever and ever. My goodness. Um, so the first person is my old co-host, uh, who I have gamed with, but has never been part of my gaming group. Right, fair enough. Um, and he's not a. He has done some uh, some gaming supplement kind of designs, mm-hmm. like done some little fiddly bits around gaming but has never really designed a game per se um and that's justin evans Um, i've had justin as a gm and as a player and he's incredibly um he's very expressive he he knows all the cues for when to dive into a um you know when to sort of suffer punishment when to be larger than life Mm -hmm. he's very good about about reading those cues and playing off them yep so um so Justin is my first one. Mm-hmm. Ira Glass. Um, right. Ira Glass, who does This American Life, um, he once did – in fact, we did a narrative control episode about this. He did a uh, uh, a few clips on storytelling. Right. And Ira has – Ira has been doing – has been in public radio for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, has an amazing sense for how to capture – the quintessential elements of a story in a very understated way, and and I'd love to see his take on making up stories. Right, um, sure. So okay, so we're two down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a man who I only know his first name is Robert. Uh, he used to be a clown, and he now teaches IT integration for Microsoft. Um, he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I wish you know. I know you'd like to be able to pin this to to other people, but I've seen him in several seminars, and he is one of the most amazing speakers. Uh, he he is able to distill very complicated ideas into not just simple ones, but laughable ones. Like you right. remember them because you like that was the point where he talked about pouring water over his head and coming out of the room saying, "Oh, I finally finished," pretending like he'd been sweating. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, that's I the mean, ability to see the absurdity in things. Like, it requires you to reduce it to its most simple level and then make an association, right? That's the yes. that's the skill. And and, uh, and finally, Jane McGonigal. Uh, Jane McGonigal, who is uh, has been on many many TED talks. Uh, she is an incredible advocate for gaming as bettering people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so much of her stuff I want to believe in, but makes no damn sense to me. Um, she talks <laughs> about how, like, you do these things, and then your life is better. And, like, every skill you need for life, you get out of playing games. Right. And I I want to believe that, Jane. I think it's <laughs> so awesome. But every time I hear you talk, I don't get it. It doesn't click. And I think that maybe if I just was hanging out with her and gaming with her, mm-hmm. that it would click, and I would reach this new, like, enlightened level. Right. You descend. 
Yeah. So Justin Evans, Ira Glass, dude named Robert, and Dan McGonagall. <laughs> and so, what are you going to what are you going to play? Uh, we will play Primetime Adventures. And uh, who's going to who's going to be in, in charge? I guess you'd be in charge in that. Well, I mean, it's not it's an ensemble cast, but um. uh, it's an ensemble cast. Um, you know, if you have to ask who we're going to what, who's going to be in charge, then I'm going to swatch swatch that back. I'm going to say we're going to play Durance, and right. then no one is the GM because uh, right. everybody's contributing to it. Because I don't want anyone in charge of that game. I want to see what everybody has to throw out without without being restricted. Mm. I, I sort of believe, you know, some people say GMless games. I want playerless games. Like I really, right. I really dislike the notion of a player that is just sort of passive and waiting mm. for you. Give them things. Yes. Everyone to take the role of a GM and everyone to be creating and everyone to be adding content and everyone to have the ability to say, oh, let's do this crazy wacko thing. And someone else go, no, that makes no sense. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. That makes no sense. Let's do this other thing that isn't crazy wacko. Right. You know, so it's not like, you know, the GM has this authoritative power in the game, but we also have an amazing ability to negotiate. So, like, mm. I feel that there needs to be someone with the final say. Yes. Uh, think we can all like when we played witch like we I, I think more than all of us being players all of us were gms yeah. in that game yeah and I'll, I'll tease it a little bit here but that's what sort of set me to uh to working on the the new game that i'm i'm working on currently which i'm excited to uh to say i think uh, jeremy tidwell is actually a play testing right as we uh as we speak currently Ooh, um, that's fantastic yeah, i've seen the game as well and i think it's got a lot of potential i'm i'm, I'm excited about it so all right i wrote the uh, i wrote a, a second sort of um path that the game could could be run down and i think that uh, they're, they're choosing that one tonight so that means that i've had both of the the ones that have written so far have been have been tested out, but that's far too cryptic for everybody let's move on okay so um hell exists and you were sent there contempt to play a certain style of game for eternity. What would it be and why? This doesn't mean like, you know, kick a game that you don't like, but I'm like, you know, what could happen in a game uh, yeah. that, that would be that would be hell? Uh, a game where you spend, um, where you spend, you know, five hours getting 15 minutes of play in. Uh, right. Where, yeah, be either because the system requires an inordinate number of dice rules or, or dice rolls or looking up rules or complicated math or mm. uh, just has a very long protracted resolution system like yes. a lot of uh, especially older games did mm-hmm. do and still do. Um, uh, or because you have a GM that is stymieing you at every turn and only wants you to do what they want you to do, so you so they say pick it, you know, pick a door, any door, but you open up the first door and it slams in your face, and you open up the second door and it slams in your face, and you're mm. like, why did you say pick a door, any door, when it was really just open door number seven? That's and right. now I have to open six doors and I'm slamming my face. Yes. Uh, and and it hurts. My nose is now bleeding, and right. I'm sad, yeah. and I don't know why you're torturing me like this. Yeah. So um, I think either because. You know, a GM has an idea of what they want you to do, and they're just not going to let you do anything else. Or because the game system itself just makes the process of, you know, of play slow. Mm. If I can't do things in the fiction, if I can't see a interesting and tangible development of the fiction over a long period of time, I get enormously frustrated. And that would be my hellish game is where we just keep on like saying, I want to do this, I want to do this. And the GM's ignoring you or you have to roll like a thousand times. And no matter what you try to do, like nothing ever actually is accomplished in the fiction and you're just kind of spinning your wheels. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. um, And that goes to what we were talking about before in terms of expectations and the, and the the game you were talking about where, you know, the director sort of said ahead of time, like this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. And if you know that, 
going in, then it then it's fine. I mean, you can own it and you can work within that limitation. But if somebody says you can do whatever you want, you know, brackets as long as it's what I want you to do, then that's the major difference. And right? the worst, like, most passive aggressive thing part about that for me is you can do anything you want um and like you said except it has to be what i want you to do and i'm not going to tell you what that is yes so yeah. so you can do whatever you want as long as you can read my mind mm. it's sort of the the style of gaming that i hate with a passion because yeah. um not only do i not know not only do i you know not know what i'm supposed to do so therefore i can't have fun but um the only way for me to, to find that out is you know by some kind of mind meld telepathy mm. or Simply by just trial and error. Like that's I'm right, yeah. trying until I figure out, aha, that's what you wanted me to do. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or, or how about you tell me what it is you want me to do? Because, you know, like you're thinking, like, and I've been games in games like that before, and I'm just thinking, okay, how about you just tell me? Just tell me what it is that you want me to do, because I'm obviously going to have to try five different things before I get the thing that you wanted me to do. So how about you, you know, just yeah. tell just tell me up front. And then I'm not really playing game and I'm looking at my watch and I'm waiting to go. So, so yeah. Yep. So, um, and who are you going to play with in hell? Who's going to be there with you in hell? And this doesn't, again, doesn't necessarily be a particular person. It could be a type of person or a, or a, um, you know, some particular, um, well, not to blaspheme or anything like that, but I think Gary Gygax will be my GM. Um, <laughs> because I mean, like I love Gary for what he did, like what oh, yeah. he made. But if you ever read about the way Gary gamed, yes, it was totally antithetical to what I think of as gaming. Mm. Like he very much was. It's the GM versus the players, not yes. as we're trying to tell a story. Mm. He was. He had complete weapon porn. Like mm. he, I mean, look at those lists of pole arms. I mean, it's who right, needs yeah. nine hundred freaking pole arms, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Like I, I really think that Gary made amazing things. Hmm. But I also think that his what he wanted to do with those amazing things is not what I wanted to do with them, and right. and and that's fine. Um, like I don't I don't want to besmirch Gary's style of play, but it's definitely not mine. And no, that's I, sure, sure. And I mean, that's if the whole thing. Was an advocate for that style of play, like an active advocate, not like sheepishly hiding behind mm. their their munchkinism. No, like in it, like this is how the game is played. Mm. It was it was Gygax. So I for think sure. he would be my GM. And uh, um, I think I would be playing with, yeah, like seven other players because I hate large games. <laughs> I'd be playing with seven other players that all had secrets that they wouldn't tell me mm. as a player. And right. the GM knew, and they were like devilishly excited about their super cool secrets that we never found out about in game. <laughs> and they would always brag and gloat about their cool secrets and how it's going to be so awesome when they're revealed, but they refused to ever share them. <laughs> that would be my game in hell. Thanks for that. <laughs> that um, now that, I just want to crawl into a hole. That's right. Cry. Well, I think that probably, um, and I've, I've alluded to this before, but I think the only way that I could top that would be if uh, your favorite gaming snacks was all that was being served. Who's your favorite hero and why? We talked a little bit about villains last time, but but heroes. Who's your favorite hero? Um, I think favorite hero would have to be John McClane. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, John is a man of action. Uh, he is a man who makes nothing but mistakes. He is a man who uh, continually has to pay for those mistakes and does so in a comical and yet endearing way. 
Um, you think that uh, that his he makes that the John McClane is a star of movies about fighting terrorists and whatnot, but John McClane is a star about movies about having a fucked up marriage and mm. like his 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 issue is that he's a fucking idiot when it comes to his wife mm-hmm. and and so you don't so I love John McClane because I don't see him through the lens of an action hero. I see him through the lens of a guy trying to make things good with his wife and in kind of in the middle of having to kill terrorists right. and like getting shot up and beat to hell and freaking out. But mm. mostly he's worried about getting back together with Holly. That's right. Exactly. And yeah, so like, it's the most important thing to him the entire time. And, and part of that, you could say, well, it's like, well, the safety of his wife, like, like he doesn't, you know, he knows that she's in the hands of terrorists and he doesn't want her to die. And the first one, and that she's on a plane, and he doesn't want it to crash. And the, mm-hmm. and the second one, and that she's her daughter, uh, in the last one, I don't, the third one, I don't really consider a diehard movie. It was sort of an accidental diehard movie. Right. But, um, like, you can say it's for their, like, physical safety and well-being, but that's not what's really going on in his head. What's really going on in his head is, once I see her, how am I going to make up for all the stupid things I did? Right. And then, and then the movie very beautifully allows him to show his love for her through his sort of larger-than-life valiant actions. Mm. Like, when he keeps on fighting for them... She sees that, like, well, if he'd fight that hard to save me, maybe he's worth taking back. Um, So, you know, I see this hero, but he's a hero because he's incredibly human, not Mm. he's a hero because he can kill, like, 50 Russians. Right. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what you mean. It's all for something else, right? Like, the the heart of that film is not, you know, John McClane beats up terrorists. I mean, that's what happens, but it's it's incidental to what his actual story yeah. arc is right and, and you can tell at the very end like what happens like the cops the fbi are all super pissed off at him still mm-hmm. um but he doesn't care because like and he's supposed to be a cop and like as a cop he did a terrible terrible job mm-hmm. i mean he does a terrible job at everything that's but, right yeah but what matters to him is that he's got his wife and that yes. she loves him again and yes. that she's accepting him again so right. um so like everything else can really doesn't matter you know right um so, yeah. yeah, I think John McClane is my is my favorite hero. Okay, fair enough. Um, so if you had to be a merman or a goblin, uh, what would you choose to be? Wow, goblins get to make hella badass traps. And mermen are generally associated with, like, Aquaman, who's definitely one of the lamest heroes ever. So I'm well, saying- I don't know. I'm not sure who it is that's drawing him at the moment, but just recently on the internet I've seen a few sort of memes pop up around the place and one of them is you know like you think i'm you think i'm terrible um and you've got him you know having large quantities of of spanish gold and he's controlling great white sharks and massive kraken and and stuff like that you know he's sort of having it seems to me he's having a bit of a renaissance of uh, of awesomeness so you know I don't, I don't know if you should be dismissing Aquaman quite so quickly there sean um okay so my response to that is that aquaman has always had and will always have an incredible inferiority complex um aquaman can surround himself with all sorts of awesome dudes that sharks and cthulhu and spanish gold uh that still does not make him awesome that just means he's found friends or he is envious of other things i'm trying to find i'm on facebook right now uh and i'm looking at the meme 
that uh, that it's got Aquaman on top of what could arguably be either Kraken or Cthulhu. <laughs> and he's coming out of the water and says, I'm useless, they said. I have stupid powers, they said. And you know he's coming out of the water on him, and my response was, ah, poor Aquaman. Even with the Kraken, he's got an inferiority complex. <laughs> and then somebody wanted to crack me, that's not the Kraken. And I thought that was kind of funny. Um, so I'm still giving Aquaman lamest hero ever. Uh, well, lamest hero widely known. There are some probably lamer heroes, but he has the reward for being like as well-known as Superman and incredibly lame, um, which, is a, which is a pretty rare distinction. So, so you're uh, so you're basing um, so you're you're tarring mermen with the same brush as uh, as Aquaman. Is that what I'm trying to understand? Only sort of tangentially so at first, but now that you got me rolling, like now I'm now I'm committed. Like I was just sort of <laughs> I just didn't really I was sort of meh about mermen before. <laughs> like like I played Magic the Gathering and made a merman deck. You yes, know nice. I was not yeah. above using mermen in some capacity. That's right. Sahogans have been a good underwater enemy for me when I ran D&D. Yes. Uh, so I was, you know, kind of just like, well, I got to say something about mermen. I'll just make a oblique reference to Aquaman. But now that we've gone into it and had to like quote memes and stuff, now I'm, <laughs> now I'm concretely opposed to them. You know, <laughs> I'm invested in goblin camp and, you know, let's burn down those fishy mermen. Um, with our, with our acid traps and our, that's uh, oh, that's that's sad. I feel bad for the I feel bad for the mermen. I've had a soft spot for them ever since uh, Zoolander when he's uh, you know he looks so, you know, like he looks so sad. And I, I always project onto him there that you know like his his environment is being destroyed by pollution and uh, you know people are throwing rubbish into the ocean. They're they're digging. They're like fishing up his, his shark friends and cutting off their fins and stuff like that. And you know don't don't you think they deserve a little bit of a bit of pity? I mean goblins are all about you know avarice and you know selfish motivations but but mermen seem so so loving and, and peaceful uh i'd like to quote for you that line that you're referencing where zoolander is a mermaid and the line was <laughs> water is the essence of wetness <laughs> wetness is the essence of beauty exactly exactly uh, sean there's still time for an about face here. If we're talking about beautiful mermen or ugly goblins full of avarice, go goblin, go. That's <laughs> what I gotta say. Don't go on a fishing trip, Sean. I understand. <laughs> I understand that I'm very popular amongst the uh, the merfolk. <laughs> so it would be like Odysseus going on the uh, go, getting in the boat and telling Poseidon to piss off. Yeah, I, See, I just, that's just stupid. I don't. <laughs> I'm not that dumb. I'm not gonna get into my little boat and be like, "Hey, mermen, y'all can eat it." <laughs> <laughs> That's just asking for trouble. I'm saying this on land, a hundred miles away from the nearest ocean. I'm good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're all tough in there, and you're uh, under the under a mountain making your acid traps. But uh, yeah, the right. the earth is seventy percent water, Sean. Don't forget that. All right. When I move to the Bay Area and I'm right next to the water, you know, my tune will change. Exactly. And it, you'd be well advised, yes, to change your tune on that one. So uh, your final role-playing supper before execution, or if you want to be uh, a little less uh, final about it, before suddenly the uh, role-playing is wiped from the earth and from the memories of all those who participated, what would you play? Final role-playing supper... Um I would want to play a game. See, this is like so not me. It's funny because if I was playing my last game ever, I would want to play a game that would stand on its own ground for a lot of ways. So I would probably want to play a very uh, dramatic 
um, like very like intense, full of like lots of people's personal issues put, pitted against each other. LARP. Oh yes. Uh, no, it's funny because I'm totally not a LARPer. Like I've only LARPed maybe two or three times. Three times, I think. Um, and kind of, tw- I don't think any of those times that I ever like intend to be LARPing. Like one time I was at a birthday party that was a uh, a it's basically like a guy's birthday party where we just gamed all weekend. Right. One of the events was a LARP and everybody had to play in it. So I was like, I guess I'm playing in a LARP now. Right. Um, and then uh, Karen put on a LARP. And she was looking for players, and I was like, "Well, you know, yeah, you're you're doing this thing, so I want to support you. So of I'll course. be in this LARP." And then mm-hmm. the last LARP I was in, uh, which you've also played in, Luke Crane's Inher- uh, Inheritance LARP, mm-hmm. like I, uh, I was just hanging out with like people, and then Luke says, "Hey, we're gonna run this LARP. Do you want to be in it?" And I was like, "I'm at PAX, and these cool people all want to play a game with me. Yeah, sure, I'll do that." Sure. Um, but I loved it. I loved Inheritance. I think I've loved every LARP I've been in. I just um, for whatever reason, I've never identified with LARPers, with like the LARP scene in general. But mm. I think really like intense, um, you know, the fate of people's passions and desires are all on the on the table, and we all care about each other. We're all mm. invested in one another, and we all have the ability to influence one another. Uh, LARP would would be my final event, and yeah. we could have it over supper. We could yeah. have a LARP about eating. We could be eating in the game while we're eating in the game. Well. We could. We could we could say I heard you like eating, so we'll do some eating while we eat. And you're, I don't know that, <laughs> that meme. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up about LARPs because I'm a little bit the same way myself. Um, I very rarely do I set out to uh, participate in a LARP, but um, I think that the subtle but to me at least important difference between LARPing and the LARPs that I've played in is that they are contained. They're just they're like a story game. You know, you start and you finish and that's it. There's no sense of having to create this character and then spend, you know, every weekend or every Thursday or whatever it is sort of you know, fleshing it out. The game is, is contained, you know, like it's got to start and it's got to stop and then and that's the end of it. And the road to Lindisfarne, um, which the road to Lindisfarne, um, as a LARP, I think would will work perfectly mm-hmm. because because it's it's contained, right? There's no ongoing thing um yeah. we've got these clear expectations and people get in they they play it and then and then it's done so i wonder is there a difference between like are you getting the full larp experience or is it actually almost a different thing a, a, a sort of a story game larp that takes three or four hours to play and then it's finished um and an actual sort of ongoing well, week, I mean, I think LARP. you're articulating the difference between any con game and any campaign game in that a a, a, a convention non-LARP, a convention tabletop game, should act in the same manner if it's going to be successful. Like if I – if I, what, I mean, you know, that's that's interesting now that I think about it. When we, if we go back to the, the I'm in hell and I'm playing the worst game ever, mm-hmm. um, one of the criteria to make that game the worst – would be if it if if I am presented with a game that is supposed to be a self-contained uh, convention game, and it turns out that it's actually part ninety-seven of two hundred and fifty of somebody's long-term game that they have brought to a con because right. they thought it was so awesome that they wanted <laughs> other people to experience it, right. and they spend 
most of the game telling me about what other people have done and what their other players have done and how awesome it's been and how cool my character was when he was played by somebody else and all the cool things that my character did and and kind of insinuate why aren't you doing the cool things that your character did last right. time someone right. played them uh and i you know at that point want to throttle them because i am playing them and i don't care what somebody else did right. with them and you're playing uh, a merman as well and i'm playing a merman right <laughs> right thank you so i think that that's you know, I mean, I didn't even when you said like, "What's the qualification for a great con game?" I didn't even mention it because I kind of like I kind of feel like that's like a baseline. Like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not thinking greatness when I'm when I'm thinking about these qualifications. I'm thinking of these like, like not sucking is <laughs> yeah. you know, like one level of not sucking is not dragging people through a. Mm game that has no start has no end and is full of references to previous iterations you know yeah Uh, so i really um i think that you know you said that a larp that is you know tells a full story is great but i mean i really think any con game should do that and whether that story is a huge like epic journey like our like the like which was where Mm. you're going from place to place and doing all these things and like you really feel like a lot happened or whether it's the story of like you know um a funeral of one mm. night in, mm. in, in a Jarl's home mm. that it still is like a thing happened and we play to the end of the story. Yes. And, and, you know, uh, in both cases, I feel very satisfied, uh, with that, that being complete, but I, I want that in any game, the LARP or tabletop. Sure. Um, I guess the distinction that I was making is that I would not want to go back and, um, be that character again week after week like i feel like i'd fully explored it and then that was the and that was the end of it whereas in a tabletop game i can see myself going back to that character i tend to burn my characters up so i don't usually have that experience i i i generally like it if i end the game with my characters dead um insane uh evil to the point of being like an npc or um, somehow otherwise broken and like untarnished and, and and so tarnished that they cannot be recognized as their original self. Because then I really feel like I've played the game. Like I've played that character to fruition because I've just thrashed them. Yeah. <laughs> like like they didn't survive their encounter with me. And I was wondering whether you had any thoughts about what's necessary for a game that actually has has length, you know, will actually play and stay strong the whole way through. Um, I think, you know, a lot, we were talking earlier about expectations. Um, I think that having a, uh, some kind of gaming pacing and some sort of, sort of overarching goals for the game that everyone has bought into is, is really important. Like if you tell, like, if you, if you, if you open up a game and say like, we're going to tell the story of, you know, um, a supernatural entity being found in Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. and what people's reaction to that is. And we start the story with like you know the comet falling uh, to the to the ground and like exploding, and people you know investigating it. Mm-hmm. And and so we know like that's our start. Then we can say that like a plausible ending is going to be like alien integration with humanity, or a plausible ending is going to be. Uh, the beginning of a war between the two species or a plausible ending is going to be, um, you know, everybody thinking the alien is dead, but it's in fact hiding or, or, you know, amongst people, or maybe it is dead, you know, but these are all things where we can see like, aha, I, I, I can see where um, we start 
and I can see a plausible ending, and I don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to play until we get to that point. And mm-hmm. when we get to that point, we will we will call the game done because that is when I feel like it would make sense for the curtain to drop and mm-hmm. like us to go, aha, I've, I've, I've learned what I need to. The characters have – and generally that, that happens because all the characters have – had issues that they have resolved to some level or another. You know, whether they've resolved them because they've, yay, successfully, like, n- made peace with it or, you know, fix- fixed it or whatever, or they resolved it because you just realize that they're so broken they'll never resolve it. But, like, you know one way or the other that where, the, you know, they've made their decision. Yes. And so I think characters sort of need to be on the, on the, on the, on the edge of making a decision at the beginning of a game. Mm-hmm. And have made that decision at the end of the game, and then and then the game is done. And and those decisions should not be something that they can just do at the start. Otherwise, there's nece- not necessarily a game there, yes. but something that they kind of have to come to through play. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, so and and I think it's just knowing what those decisions are going to be and knowing what kind of what's going to frame those that allows you to tell a long-term game because you, you play towards that and then once you yes. get there you you say we're done you know you, right. you realize aha we've 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 completed the thing mm-hmm. um you know in that in theorsa there was an interesting period where like one of our goals was to find the heir to the throne and when we found him mm-hmm. we we're like yay we found him and it was this great victory for our characters but then we're kind of like what do we do now? Like, how do we go about, how do we as players telling a game go about figuring out how we are going to put him on the throne? Do we play this out as like one big military battle? Do we play this as like trying to win the support of other lords? Like, what do we do? Mm. And playing through that, like, what do we do was really kind of uncomfortable and awkward for a few sessions. Yes. But then once it came into focus, we're like, aha, we know what we're going to do. And now we're going to play towards that. And then this, this story really like picked up steam and and was awesome again because it, we knew that we hadn't reached the end. We knew that like we had gotten the heir, but we hadn't put him on the throne yet. So like we weren't done, but we didn't know how to get there. But as soon mm. as we knew how to get there, we were charging ahead. And pretty much from that point, we charged all the way until uh, not him because he gave it up, but till another character took the throne. And that's mm. that's the game ended with with uh, I guess I, I'm gonna do this thing. I hate him. Let me talk about. My, let me tell you about my character. Um, well, can, let me just say, Sean, that that that's a prefacing talking about your character by saying, um, "I hate it when people talk about their character." Is the only thing worse than than talking about uh, than talking about uh, their character? Okay, great. Well, <laughs> screw, screw you, merman. I'm talking about my character. Then um, you can go cry with all your merman because no one will see the tears in the water. Um, that's, that's right. That's another thing. You can always look like a man if you're a merman. Nobody will ever yeah. see you cry. Yeah. And no one will ah, there you go. That's like that's like ex- exactly when you're a merman. No one sees you cry. Yes. <laughs> you know what that means? Aquaman is always crying. <laughs> he, well, he, and well, he might be. Look at what's, hap- look at what's happened he, to his domain. Yeah. Uh, that that's what the oceans are. Is Aquaman's tears? That's exactly, exactly. Um. So the game ended with my character sitting on the throne as king of the of the Arcea. Uh, absolutely miserable. Right. Um, totally, he he. Well, one, he was on the verge of death. Like he had been stabbed and shot and beaten up by a dragon. I mean, he mm-hmm. was physically in terrible shape. But that doesn't matter. That's just checkboxes on a on a character sheet. Um, what was what was destructive was that the woman he loved would not accept him. 
mm-hmm. and he was, he was a, the kingdom of this place and felt completely alone. And that was the moment when all of the horrible things he had done to become king came crashing down on mm. him. And like, he had to deal with the ramifications of setting his brother on fire, of, of just, of, of killing hundreds of innocent people, of, mm-hmm. of sleeping with his sister, of doing all these things and being totally alone for it. Mm. And, um, and it was a very, very sad ending. Like I, I still, when I think about it, like it, I feel there's an emotional response I have is a genuine emotion, which a lot of times I don't have. I can, I can emote as though I am feeling genuine mm. emotion, but usually I don't actually have an emotional response. And, and that game, when I played it and even now remembering it, elicits a real sadness because I do not see any way in which things could have, there's no way to win. There was no way for things to be good at the end of that game. And, mm. and when it finally ended, uh, we were very satisfied with it, but we were also all, I think all of us very sad. Mm. Like it was just, just a, it was a genuinely sad ending and it was sad for everybody else. Like the, the Kristen's character left like lonely and ashamed and disgraced and uh, had to abandon her homeland and was never accepted by her family. And it was oh. like, you know, we'd done all these amazing things, but the price that we paid for it were terrible. Um, so, uh, you know, but, but we knew it was done. Like there was no way we were going to keep playing that to try and fix any of that. Like we had made those decisions, even though they sucked, even though they were terrible, like the decision had been made and that's what was important is that the characters had made that had made their decisions. Yeah. And we Um, talked a little bit about that. Um, again, uh, Sean Hayworth, who was, is on the previous episode, episode 39, who was the GM of that, of that game talked, uh, a lot about how for him, one of the most important aspects of um, the, the telling the story is to you know tell it to see what happen happens. But along with that, you know he he is a strong believer in you know, like the truth will bring the closure. So you know you troll you told a true ending to that story, and so it brought closure even though it wasn't a even though it wasn't a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, and we all knew it. We all knew that the story was was over. Like, like we were about to end the session before the final lines, and I was like, "You guys, we have five minutes of story left. Like, mm. literally, there's five minutes of storytelling or of gaming to do it left in this game. All we need to do is say what happens between these two characters. Like, does she leave or does she stay? And then the story's over, mm-hmm. and she left, and then it was done. We're like, okay, and we told little epilogues of like how our characters like looked miserable and sad, mm-hmm. and that was that was the end, you know? And, and like, and, and we, we just knew that there was just nowhere else to go. And so I think, um, I, I think, I think it was very easy to identify for us that like that, that the game was done in, mm-hmm. in part because we had set out that, that goal and in part because of what Sean said, that the truth really, if you, if you play honestly and you kind of open yourself up to seeing what happens when you're, when you're genuine, Mm. Uh, in play like not playing so your character will get levels not playing so your character will you know win but playing based off of their sort of emotional drives yes and then then it's it becomes clear when their story's told yeah and, and i found that um over the last probably five or, or ten years that i've been role playing um i have less and less interest in any of the stuff that I write on my on my character sheet. Like I keep notes of what's actually going on, but my investment in my character is consumed almost entirely by, you know, thinking about their personality and what they're going to try and achieve in the game. And I and I try to have no time at all for writing in experience points or gold pieces or, you know, magical stuff unless it relates directly to my character. So that's sort of I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I don't I just want to know I just want to know what's going on with my character in the story. And I don't want to sort of 
write any of that other stuff down because my my character isn't you know the points on a on a sheet right right well i i would venture to say and i'm I'm certainly not original in saying this but i'd venture to say then then your character sheet doesn't have the right information on it Mm -hmm. then then the game you're playing is not has not captured what's important about the game on the character sheet and is weaker because of it. Um, it's not that the game isn't awesome, but the game would be stronger if the things your character cared about, you know, um, in Burning Wheel, which is the game we we're playing, the reason why you know what you're doing all the time is because you have your beliefs sitting right in front of you and they change every game. And so you are like, well, this is what my character is all about. This is what they believe in. This is what they're driving towards. These are their goals. And I am rewarded by by trying to to um i'm rewarded mechanically by trying to achieve those goals but much more importantly i am rewarded within the fiction by seeing aha i wanted this thing and now i have have made it happen and Mm. and my character has grown because of it so i i really think that character sheets should represent those intangibles on them and um, in in one way or the other, like in Prime Adventures, your character has an issue, and it's slap dab right in the middle of your character sheet. Mm-hmm. And every episode that's about your character, you should be smacking into that issue, mm-hmm. and you should look at that issue and go, "Oh, yeah, you know, can my can my character deal with this this problem that he has or she has?" Right. Um, so I, I I totally I'm not trying to knock your sentiment at all because I know exactly what you mean, but I think that that uh, can really be addressed and i think you can't have character sheets that are filled with things that are that, that stay relevant to you as your character progresses oh absolutely and i think that in that respect you know you were it was the sort of the perf- it was just perfect for you that you had a group of players around you that all wanted to play the same game and who all wanted the same things out of a game i know that um the gaming group that i play with every week you know we don't we don't all want the same things from from a role-playing game but you know i have a great time i have a great time playing because you know, it's nice to hang out with with good friends. It's cool to do role playing, even though we all sort of want to do different things in the in the role playing. But you know, it would be perfect if we all wanted to play the same game, but but we don't. Yeah, sure. like. I mean, I, I really love playing Fiasco because literally, like, I can just sit down and play a game of Fiasco with people, and as long as I had a good time hanging out with them, the game is a success. Mm-hmm. Like, I've played some games of Fiasco that I'm like, well. I don't really feel like all the characters' issues got really resolved. I don't really feel like I had the sort of tension that I wanted. Or sometimes I'm like, I didn't even like my character. I wasn't really into them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've had plenty of games where I just didn't feel like the gameplay was at this, like, awesome level. But they have almost all resulted in a ton of fun at the table. So for me, like, my my gauge of what is a good fiasco game is very different than, say, my gauge of, like, what's a good Burning Wheel game. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's not that I don't take the game seriously or that I don't think it has the total potential to have really deep and meaningful interactions i just don't need that for it to be fun exactly yeah for sure okay so for all the marbles here sean if you had one role-playing related wish what would it be perhaps this wish could could yet still be fulfilled but uh that i got off my ass and started doing game design 10 years ago ladies and gentlemen sean nutner that's it for episode 40 of penny red for any questions or comments arising from the episode daniel at hazardgaming.com Number fans out there may already figure they know who next week's guest is going to be, but you'll just have to tune in to find out. So until then, keep talking the walk. Mm-hmm.